verse 24, who now, or I now, rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind, or lacking, of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation or stewardship of God, which is given to me for you, fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his sin. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul has been explaining his service to the gospel, uh, beginning back from the very end of verse 23. And in explaining his service to the gospel, you'll remember that the first thing he talked about was his sufferings for the sake of the church, to fill up what was lacking of Christ's afflictions in his own flesh. Now, after he finished talking about his sufferings for the gospel as the first part of his service, he went on to talk about his God-granted, or the exercise of his God-granted stewardship. That Paul uh, was set uh, in Christ's house as a servant to administer the resources of the master to the benefit of the members of the household and to the glory of the master. That's what a steward does. Remember, we talked about that, the nature of a stewardship. It's a servant in the house, administering the resources of the master of the house for the benefit of the members uh, of the house. And Paul's service of the gospel, then, was to serve the church with the gifts of Christ. So in talking about his stewardship, what it was, he explained, first of all, the purpose of his stewardship, which we talked about last time. That the purpose of Paul's stewardship, uh, the reason it was given to him, what it was all about, was that he was going to accomplish or fulfill the Word of God. So it reads fulfill in the uh, authorized version, or equally could be translated accomplish, and we talked about the different things that that could mean. Uh, the sense in which Paul's stewardship was given to him in order to fulfill the prophecies uh, of the Word, or... Uh, the sense in which Paul's stewardship was given to him in order to accomplish the design or the ends or the purposes of the Word. We saw that those things can overlap, but not necessarily. But that there was a definite, uh, a definite purpose in Paul's stewardship. Just as his ministry was not something he took on himself, nor was it something coincidental or accidental. It wasn't something that just happened. It was a stewardship given to him by God. So his ministry was not uh, sort of open-ended with no clear idea or motive, just kind of going around doing good. Uh, there, was an, uh, there was an end which was to be reached. Uh, there was a, a purpose which the Lord had in granting him this stewardship. We saw that was a characteristic of all stewardships, really, that uh, you didn't give someone responsibilities in the house without having an idea or a purpose in mind as to what would happen when they exercise that responsibility. So, just as with all stewardships having a purpose, Paul's stewardship had a purpose as well. And then, uh, we began to ask the question, well, as Paul began to describe what this thing was that he was stewarding. What, what was the resource? What was the gift? What was the item? What was the responsibility? which he was exercising in the house. And we saw that in this place, which is not the only description of Paul's stewardship by any means, but in this place, he talks about the, his stewardship 
as being the stewardship of a mystery, the stewardship of a mysterious truth, uh, a mysterious doctrine. And we talked about what that word mystery meant, uh, that it didn't mean that Paul's doctrine was some sort of esoteric knowledge like the Gnostics were promoting, or kind of like we have in Zen Buddhism, where, you know, uh, or these kind of, you know, if the tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound kind of thing? It wasn't like that at all. It wasn't this kind of esoteric, mystical knowledge, you know. Uh, 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 it, it didn't mean something that couldn't be understood. It wasn't that kind of mystery. We saw that the biblical definition of a mystery, or at least in most cases, the biblical definition of a mystery, is something that is concealed, something that is hidden, something that is unknown, not unknowable, but something that is unknown for various reasons. And uh, we looked at a lot of texts that talked about the mysteries and how, how in fact, what a, what a large concept this idea of mystery is in the doctrine of the New Covenant, that you know, virtually everything is called a mystery. The, uh, the return of Christ is a mystery. The, uh, uh, the, the, uh, go the gospel is called a mystery. The doctrine of Christ is called a mystery. Um, the, the doctrine of the Antichrist is called a mystery. Uh, the uh, uh, speaking in tongues is called a mystery. Uh, all sorts of things are called mysteries. The, and even, there's, even the term is used just in a broad way for general Christian doctrine. Christ says that unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. <clears throat> so this is an extremely important concept, this idea of mystery. And as we went on the text, we saw that indeed this text itself even defines this idea of mystery as something that was hidden. He says, uh, even the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from the generations. Something that has been hidden. And we saw that the word hidden here was a very strong word. Uh, it didn't mean it was, you know, you could have seen it if you looked for it. Uh, it didn't mean it was just slightly hidden. It's the same word we saw that was used for when uh, the talent was buried in the ground. Instead of, a, instead of going out and the, uh, the, the evil servant, instead of going out and trading with it at interest or whatever, uh, he buried it in the ground. It's that word. It's to conceal completely. Something that is hidden the way a person would hide treasure. And it was concealed from the ages and from the generations. And we saw those were two ways of saying everyone. Whether you look at it from a kind of a timeline perspective, the ages. We saw how long ages were in Scripture, and, uh, and then when you have even plural, I mean age, uh, just as we read in Galatians, this evil world, which could be translated this evil age, means from Paul's day to the end of time. Ages, I mean, that's it. That's from the beginning to where Paul is, the ages, the whole span of time. Or looking at it from the concept of the generations, thinking of the genealogies, thinking of, 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 of all the people that had come upon the face of the earth from Adam to Paul, and, and how, uh, how what a length of, 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 of life that represents as we, as we think about how long one person's life is, how long five people's lives in a row are, how long 20 people's lives in a row are, when you look at it that way. And it's, it's just back into the mists of time where we can't even hardly imagine something that long, a time period that long. And it was hidden, it was concealed 
uh, entirely, at least in terms of its uh, people understanding it. We'll see as we get to the mystery uh, that uh, there's a way in which it was revealed, but it certainly wasn't revealed in the way that Paul is revealing it. So it was concealed. People didn't understand it, even though it was some to some degree there. People didn't understand it. It was unknown. It was concealed from them. So, having talked about this mystery that was concealed, we want to continue now in Paul's explanation, verse 26, about the manifestation uh, of the mystery and uh, the, the uncovering of this secret, uh, the way in which it was uncovered, uh, and to whom uh, it was uncovered, and why it was uncovered. And then we finally reach the mystery itself in verse uh, 20, latter part of verse 27. So, Paul says now, to give you a little more literal translation to this section, I now rejoice in my sufferings in your behalf, and I fill up what is lacking of Christ's afflictions in my flesh, in behalf of his body, which is the church, of which I became a servant according to God's stewardship, which was given to me for you to accomplish the word of God, the mystery skipping back, which is, that's the stewardship is, the mystery, which was hidden from the ages and from the generations, but now revealed to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery in the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, we just talked about how Paul said this, this mystery that he was stewarding had been completely concealed. It was hidden. <coughs> Now Paul says this doctrine is being revealed. Uh, and it's a very emphatic now, where he says uh, there in verse uh, 26, he says, the mystery which was hidden from the ages and from the generations, but now, or really in the Greek, the now is thrown before the but for the highest possible emphasis. You, you can't put it any further forward to emphasize this. Now. Uh, bold face uh, caps, underline, and whatever kind of bad typography you can think of. It's really, you know, in the in the huge uh, uh, six-inch, uh, uh, three-foot, whatever lights. I mean, uh, now is revealed. He's drawing an absolute contrast to now versus the ages and the generations. Everything that's gone before, now it's revealed. It wasn't revealed before. Wasn't revealed 300 years before Paul. Wasn't revealed 200 years. Wasn't revealed 50 years. Now, in Paul's exercise of his stewardship, since he received this doctrine of the Lord to, to administer for the benefit of the church, now is being revealed. It really calls attention to the immediacy, the present nature of this truth, the fact that, uh, in a sense, it's almost unique to Paul, though once Paul began to teach it, of course, as, as we'll see, it was spread through the entire church, or at least a substantial portion of the church, except for the wings which later broke off and became heretical. But uh, Paul, uh, it, was, it was really, uh, as he draws attention to this immediacy of the revelation, it's almost like saying, this is... This is my special doctrine, and now it's being revealed by, uh, through, by the Lord through me. Uh, and we'll see that that is really the case, because it's the one thing that marks out Paul's ministry very particularly. So it's being revealed now by Paul, and it's being revealed, we said. Now, just as the hiding, we said, was a real complete Hiding. It was like being buried in the ground. I mean, you could walk along, it's just treasures in the ground, people walk over it for centuries, and they never see the treasure in the ground. 
It's the same way with the Revelation. It's a very complete and entire and particular and full and clear revelation of this doctrine that Paul was stewarding. He uses two words to talk about how this doctrine is being revealed. He uses the word uh, that's translated revealed here, and then later in verse 27, he uses the words translated make known, to whom God would make known. Two different words, very interesting, very important words. The first word for reveal is a Greek word phanerao. It's a very, very common word in the scriptures, or in its various forms. It's usually translated to make manifest, as it is in, in the AV, or to appear. <coughs> manifestation is the exact opposite of concealment. Now, manifestation or manifest is not a word we use a lot anymore so much in just kind of our street language, uh, but it's the opposite of concealment. For example, Luke 8.17 says this very clearly in very Hebraism. He says, Jesus says, For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest. Neither is anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. So for something to be manifested, according to the scripture, is the opposite of being secret. It's the opposite of being hidden. In fact, it ex it's explained as coming abroad, uh, just being widely spread and known and, and, and revealed. It's, it's, uh, it's the complete opposite. Now, all of these words, this word and, and all of its conjunctions and different related words, all come from the root word in, that in Greek means light, the word phos, which means light. And the idea is pretty easy. Um, let's say you get up in the middle of the night, and you need to go from one end of your house to the other. Or you're going to come down the stairs, and you're going to go in here do something. And it's pitch black. What's the first thing that you do? Well, the first thing that you do is you turn on the light. Why do you turn on the light? So that you can see. What does light do? Light reveals the contents of the room or the place or the thing that you're looking for or where you want to go or so that you don't run into the table and bust your shin or whatever. It, light is revealing. Isn't that what we use light for? Uh, Ephesians 5.13 says, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever may, doth make manifest is light. That's the purpose of light, is to manifest things, to reveal things, to show things, so that people can see. Uh, we use this all the time. Uh, we even, even uh, if, well, in dental work, you have the very bright light that, that uh, you come over and blind the people with as you, as you get it into their mouth, it's so that you can see in there, see exactly what's going on. It reveals, it makes things manifest that you couldn't otherwise see until you get that light on it. Do the same thing if we go outside at night. You hear a bump outside in the night and it's dark. And what do you do? First thing you do is grab a flashlight. Why? So you can see outside. That's what light does. And that's what this word is all about. Just like in John 3.21. He that doeth truth comes to the light that his deeds may be made manifest. That's what light does. And that's what this word is all about. Uh, this doctrine was hidden, if you will, in darkness. It was shrouded. It was concealed. It was um, difficult or impossible even, in some senses, to see. But through the message and ministry of Paul, 
through the exercise and discharge of his stewardship, the light has been thrown upon this truth so that it can be clearly seen. What was unapparent is now made manifest. What was hidden is revealed. What was dark is made clear. That's the kind of revelation that was taking place through the exercise of Paul's stewardship of this dark and hidden doctrine. It was like the light being thrown upon it so that you could see it clearly uh, and in all of its detail as well. Now there's a second word he uses here. He says, not only has this, uh, this truth of mine that was a mystery been made manifest or revealed or made apparent, it's also been made known by God. This is the word gnorizo, and it's another strong word. It, uh, like a lot of the words for knowing something, comes from uh, the word gnosis for knowledge. Just when we talk about the Gnostics, the people who uh, had the secret knowledge, uh, so that, that's the gnosis is knowledge, and gnorizo, or, or some people say they actually did pronounce the hard G and it was gnorizo, uh, is to, to make known. Now the thing about this word is that it's more than just uh, revealing something so that it can be seen. It's more the idea of the effectual imparting of knowledge. Remember that you can have something in very plain view and it can still be concealed, can't it? If we don't understand its nature and its importance. Think, for example, of the gospel. Now, now what could be uh, clearer? What could be simpler? What could be more entirely declared in, pl in the plainest language possible in the scriptures and in the preaching of the word that's gone on for the last 2,000 years? What could be clearer than, than, the, than the invitation of the gospel and, 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 the, this, and the truth of Christ? But the thing is, is that you can, or I can, set forth the truths of Christ very plainly, very clearly, in the simplest imaginable language. Uh, you can really, with no confusion at all, no difficulty, in just a few words even. But the masses of people who hear it are just as much in the dark when you're finished as when you started. It is absolutely proper to say that the truth of Christ has been set forth, has been revealed. Light has been shown upon it. It's, it's been openly manifested. There's no question the scriptures say it. The whole world has had the gospel preached to it. But most of the world remains in ignorance. Why is that? Because they don't have knowledge. It hasn't been imparted to them effectually. For example, give you some idea. In Mark 8, 17, uh, Jesus is, has been talking, uh, and uh, he says these words. He says, and when Jesus knew it, he said to them, Why do you reason, because you have no bread? Do you not perceive it, nor understand? Have you your heart yet hardened? You see, he says, he asked them two questions. Don't you understand? And then the follow-up question, is your heart still hardened? 
It wasn't enough just to have it explained. There was something that had to be done to them in order for it to be effectual, uh, an effectual imparting of knowledge. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and following, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You see? How are we going to know the things that are given to us of God? Is it by having them told to us? No, it's by receiving the Spirit which is of God. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. Very simple concept. Paul can, and you and I, and everyone in the whole world, we can expend all of our breath all day long explaining the gospel and the truths of Christ and the mysteries of Christ and setting forth everything, and it's foolishness. They cannot know it. Because you can't know the things that are freely given of God until you receive the Spirit of God. I think math class is like this for a lot of people in a strange sort of a way. Uh, to explain the difference between knowing uh, and knowing. You, if you have even simple math, but particularly in, in a high-level math class, you can have a teacher stand up at the board, and man, they can do all the equation, they can explain it, they can go through it five times in perfectly simple and absolutely clear detail. And turn around, and 50% of the people at least have no idea what they're talking about. They don't get it. Uh, something isn't clicking for them. Uh, they can even memorize the outward form of what's being said. They can reproduce the equation. That doesn't mean they have any idea what's going on or understand it uh, or can grasp what's being meant or even how to use it. See, that's another story. There's a difference between having something clearly set forth and revealed and the people to whom it's revealed understanding it and having that knowledge whereby they really grasp it in all of its significance and its detail and it's, it's like it's something, we call it owning something that they really know and, and have and hold. So what's going on here, Paul says, is not merely through his ministry the clear setting forth of a particular truth that had been hidden uh, from the ages and the generations, but it's more than that. <coughs> It's being clearly set forth to everyone who will hear. But God is making it known to His saints. It's being clearly set forth to everyone who will hear, but God is making it known to His saints. It's brought out of the basement, it's given an exposition, it's, it's, it's light is shed upon it, but it's effectually given to the elect of God. To everybody else, it, it's still a mystery. Uh, it's still a confusion, it's still a, a kind of a misty darkness or foolishness or something they don't grasp or un don't understand, uh, just like all the rest of Christian doctrine and truth. And this is the normal case with the revelation of the mysteries of the kingdom. <clears throat> the truths of the word should be preached widely and explained clearly to all who will hear. There's no question about that. They should be set forth to all without distinction. But they are known and comprehended only by those to whom those truths belong by right, and that is the children of God. Matthew 13, uh, 13 and following says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they see not, 
and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear and shall not understand. Seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. Because that's the visual equivalent of understanding versus hearing. It's perceiving with sight uh, versus seeing. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they've closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and be converted." and I should heal them. Jesus says in Luke 10, In that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast, and here are two words again, hid these things from the wise and from the prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knows who the Son is but the Father and who the Father is but the Son, and He to whom the Son will reveal Him. So, we have very definitely then the setting forth of these truths, the revealing of them, the shining of light upon them, the making of them manifest, the appearing of them, and then we have the making of them effectually known unto the saints of God, so that they can receive the truth, act upon the truth, order their life according to the truth, have the knowledge of the mysteries. And this is so important because remember that that's the whole tension of Colossians. We keep talking about that, and it's important because it keeps coming back up. Who were the ones that were talking about the mysteries all the time? Follow us. We have the mysteries. We have the enlightenment. We have the secret doctrine. We have the knowledge. Don't go with that Apostle Paul fellow. Come with us. We'll teach you how to live through your asceticism and through your consulting with angels and through your Jewish ordinances and through all of these things and your mystical revelations and you can follow and walk on the path of enlightenment and maybe if you just keep going on the path of enlightenment long enough and you, 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 you uh, observe our ordinances and taste not and touch not and handle not and you will worship and, uh, and, and, and intrude into those uh, secret things of God and, and all this mystical knowledge, maybe you'll get up to the top of enlightenment and then you'll have real salvation. So Paul says, again, completely and totally wrong. We've seen how he's been axing each one of their... It's kind of like the... the uh, uh, Synod of Dort responding to the Arminian uh, propositions. He kind of takes them one by one, and just just the nails are being driven into the coffin of, of these heresies. He says, yeah, there are mysteries in the kingdom. <clears throat> there are mysteries in the kingdom. But you're not going to find them out by going on this strange, convoluted, ascetic, licentious, uh, 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 weird, Judaistic path. Is they were being revealed in Christ. In fact, if you want to know a mystery, I'll tell you a mystery. I'll tell you the real mystery. I'll tell you the real mystery of the kingdom. Because I have it. I'm the steward of it. It was given to me, uh, and I'll tell it to you. So, you want mysteries? There are plenty of mysteries right here, only they're the kind that will do you some good. Instead of intruding into things which you've not seen, vainly puffed up by your fleshly mind which is what he says later in chapter 2 uh, of, the, uh, of the heretics. They were interested in the kind of mysteries that are the things which it says the secret things belong unto the Lord. Um, that's the kind of interest he, mysteries they were interested in. 
Paul says, I'll tell you some things that were concealed if you want to know some, some amazing doctrines, truth. Well, I'll tell you the mysteries of the... I'll tell you where these treasures and riches are. Well, why is it then, uh, is the next question that our text answers, why is it then that it has fallen out that the saints of God receive this true knowledge while the rest are blinded? Why is it that the saints of God receive this knowledge now as opposed to before? You can answer either of those questions with what the text says. Uh, why now? Why not a hundred years ago? Why not? Well, and this is, this is the cut to the chase answer. This is kind of like the Romans 9 answer about election, where Paul says, who are you, O oh man, to, you know, uh, this is, you cut right to the chase, and he says, to whom God willed to make known uh, what are the riches of the glory of this mystery, to whom God willed. It's revealed now to the saints because of the determination of God. And, and I, I pause again at this because it, it, we just keep coming back to it in this section of the letter. We just keep coming back to this divinely centered discussion of Paul's entire ministry, of everything about it. Remember we talked about uh, his ministry wasn't a circumstance or a happenstance or an accident. It was a stewardship given by God. His purpose was not his self-advancement, wasn't fame, was nobody. It was his purpose was an accomplishing of the divine purposes of the Word of God. His message wasn't an invention. It wasn't Paul's neat ideas. It wasn't something he sat at home and uh, thought, "Yeah, this is a great thing. I'm going to go out and tell people about this." It wasn't like these yo-yos that are on the radio now with these books on the New York Times bestseller list, and they go around saying, "Hey, let's consult with the dead." That's the latest thing on the New York Times bestseller. You can get wisdom if you go to consult with dead people. You know, where did he think that of him? He's sitting at home thinking, "Ah, oh, I'll make some money. Write this book." You know, uh, no, it's not like that. It is a truth from heaven that was concealed and now it's set forth uh, plainly by the Lord. His timing, now, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't Paul decided, well, I've been doing some other things for a while. I've been a Jew for a while. I've been kind of going along. I've kind of reached the top of the Jewish religion. I'm kind of one of these guys that, you know, once you get to the end of the top of the thing, you try, try to do something else and see if you can get to the top of that. So, I've been the greatest Pharisee. I think I'll become the greatest apostle. Let's switch uh, careers. And then, uh, and then, while I'm at it all, you know, I'll come up with some new doctrines and kind of add on to what Jesus taught and I'll be the founder of a new... It wasn't like that at all. The timing was a divine appointment, wasn't it? He was on his way. We saw Galatians 1. He's on his way. Let's, let's nail some more Christians. Let's get them. And uh, uh, here it came, the, 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 the light and the voice and knocked off the uh, horse and all that good stuff. <clears throat> the timing is God's. And of course now, the reception of that truth is by the divine will. It wasn't based on how persuasive Paul was. You know, if he, if, he really, I mean, if he really got up there and really taught the truth aggressively that more people would believe it. No, it wasn't based on that. It wasn't according to the mood and the whim of his hearers, was it? As to whether who, uh, who understood the truth and who accepted it and not. It wasn't like that at all. It was according to the foreordination of God. All of these things, uh, why does Paul have a ministry? God will. What's Paul's purpose? It's to accomplish the divine purposes of God. What's Paul's message? It's the doctrine of God. What's Paul's timing? It's the appointment of God. What, ha what happens when Paul preaches? Why do some people hear it? Why do the saints have it made known? Because God is, is willing. 
Uh, there's, a, there's a really beautiful summary of this in that Galatians chapter 1 that we read uh, this morning. When he says, uh, for do, in verse 10, he says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I had pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. I, I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many, my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, that's the timing right there, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went out to Jerusalem, to them which were apostles, and went to Arabia and returned to Damascus. That whole summary there. Where did this ministry come from? What is this purpose that He has? What's this message that He has? What's the timing that He has? It's all summed up right there. It's, it's, it's God uh, all by the, the choice and the work uh, of God. We'll see that again in Ephesians chapter 3. In fact, if you want to study a passage, this is the parallel passage, Ephesians 3. Uh, if you've heard of, the, of this dispensation of the stewardship of the grace of God which is given to me toward you, how that by revelation He made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. It's all completely, 100%, totally all from God and not a single part from Paul. So then, God has willed in these uh, latter days, to reveal this vital truth to His people. And to that end, God has chosen a vessel to bear that truth. He's called Him to that duty. He's revealed to Him by His Spirit the mysteries of Christ. He has further made the hearts of His chosen people receptive to this divine doctrine. It's all there according to divine plan. Now there is a, <laughs> a rather substantial what we might call a corollary or an implication of what Paul is saying here. Uh, and that is this. <clears throat> what then are you saying if you reject this truth? You see, that's the thing um, with the Word of God in general, and, and of course with this truth in particular. If you say, oh, I don't believe what you're teaching, Paul. What you're saying then is, God didn't give him this stewardship. You're saying that he isn't accomplishing the divine purposes of the Word of God. You're saying that his message was not revealed to him by Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God from heaven. You're saying that the people who are receiving this doctrine are not receiving it because they're the elect of God and it's according to God's divine foreordination and preparation, but that they're grabbing a falsehood. They're being deceived. You see, you're, you're rejecting God. 
you're rejecting the will of the Lord. You're rejecting God's own divine plan and truth. And that is a tremendously uh, bold, in a bad way, and desperate action to take, isn't it? Simply with the wave of the hand to say, Paul has set forth all of this divine intervention that's taken place in order to get to exactly where he is right now at this point with this doctrine. And then with the wave of the hand, these heretics would say, we don't accept it. You're wrong, Paul. You're wrong. How many people in the world, not merely with this doctrine, but within the main doctrines of the Scripture, or the Scriptures even themselves, the very Word of God, with the most casual wave of their hands, wave away the content of the Holy Scriptures and the Word of God. Testimony after testimony after testimony to the divine authority of this book. Claim after claim after claim made by the Lord to receive this as the truth or suffer the most terrible of consequences and with a casual wave of the hand. The book is set back with the works of men's fiction on the shelves. How careful we need to be that whatever the truth of God, we beware this dismissive and casual attitude. Now, we come finally, um, and we won't spend any time on it today, but we come finally now to Paul's mystery, to the doctrine he's revealing, to his stewardship, which is in this text uh, called the mystery in the Gentiles. Fascinating statement. The mystery in the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. And you could put in parentheses there, you Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we'll be consulting with our passage in Ephesians, if you want to look at that, in, in chapter 3, where he explains chapter 3, verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. There is uh, the fellowship of the mystery, the the mystery, Paul's knowledge in the mystery of Christ, uh, that we shall learn about how vitally important this is, about how incredibly significant it was at this time. I mean, we're all Gentiles here, so we're like, well, what else is new, you know? Uh, but when we consider it in its covenantal and its historical context, we will find out that this is perhaps one of the most dramatic, astonishing uh, uh, world-overturning uh, doctrines that could come uh, out of this Christian uh, religion.